I'm tired of having this conversation with you. I've tried to tell you again and again. It doesn't matter. Corp, I, no, listen to me. No, this is important to me. I was speaking I first. Be, it doesn't, who cares? I'm, Don't do this. No, Corp, I am, I'm done with this. This is not okay. This is not how you're going to treat me. You shouldn't be trying to talk to me that way. I am older than you, and I know more than you do. Guys, stop. Okay, so... If you heard that, we had a couple of our staff people act out something that you would hear uh, on television or any other place. Uh, did that make anybody else feel uncomfortable besides me? Yeah, well, the problem is that's become normal, and we're so offendable. And so we are in the second week of a series entitled Unoffendable because the Bible challenges us to be people who are different, to be salt and light. And wouldn't it be something if Christians would take no offense. There's a book that came out a few years ago called Unoffendable by a guy named Brant Hansen. And it's, uh, if you have, if you, at the bottom of your outline, at the end of the discussion questions, you'll see a place where you can get it. If you want a great book to read on this, this is it. And um, today, uh, I want to cover some of the things that he covered in this book, some of the reasons to talk about why it's so important that we let go of offenses. And by the way, taking offense means to become angry or upset over something somebody said or did. And that's why we're talking about this, because we live in a world where that happens. Point A on your outline is we live in a fallen world where we're guaranteed to be offended. We are. The Bible is not a pie-in-the-sky book where it doesn't pretend there's things that won't upset us. You and I might be offended this week by a news broadcast. We might be offended this week by something that somebody posts on a social media platform somewhere. We might be offended because the neighbor's dog came and pooped in our yard again, and we've warned him three times. We might be offended by anything like that, by our spouse, by our kids, by our parents, by a coworker. I mean, offenses are going to come. John 16, Jesus said, this is Jesus, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I mean, we have the hope of heaven one day. There won't be any offenses in heaven. That's true, but we're not in heaven yet. We're here right now. Also, the Lord promises to be with us and to guide us and to give us strength to make it through all this. In fact, Jesus told the disciples this, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you, lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Do you know that if you and I do Christianity right, we're going to be offended? Jesus said that. I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't be offended if people lied and persecuted us and lied about us and persecuted us and said all sorts of evil things about us. I mean, every now and then somebody will send me a post from a a media outlet about something that some some Hollywood star or some athlete or some politician somewhere said something that's blatantly anti-Christian, and it always ends with this, can you believe it? And I write them back and I go, yes, and I put that verse right there. Did you know that if you and I live in the real world, which we do today, we will be offended this week? And we will have people, we will even, but we do it to ourselves. We go around saying things like that. We go, can you believe they said that? Can you believe this? Sure. In fact, it'd be probably helpful for us with a good dose of reality because forewarned is forearmed for us to remind ourselves of that. So yeah, here's something I'd like for us to say together. Yes, I can believe people will offend me this week. So can we say that together, please? Yes, I believe people will offend me this week. 
Now think if we actually approached the week that way. Then we could pray in advance and say, God, offenses are coming. If I do my faith right, people are going to mock me and say evil things about me, let alone all the other stuff that's coming. So God, if this is happening, then help me be ready. Toughen me up. And help me forgive people the way you forgave me. Can we pray about that? Because I want to give you five reasons why it's important. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we live in a fallen, broken world. You didn't tell your disciples, hey, if you follow me, it's going to be easy street. You said we're going to have many trials and sorrows. And if we do our job rightly of following you, it's going to offend people. And so, God, offenses are coming our way this week. It's just going to happen. And so, God, please help us be ready. Toughen our skin. Help us not get so easily offended. And, Lord, remind us that you came into a sinful world to forgive sinners. Anybody could have ever been offended all the time, it was Jesus. Lord, help us be like him. He loved people who weren't loving back. He prayed for the people who nailed him to the cross. God, help us be like him. Help us be unoffendable. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So today I want to give you five reasons why we need to let go of offenses. I mean, we prayed about it. Here are five reasons why it's important. Uh, By the way, Proverbs 19.11 says, A person with good sense is patient, and it's to his credit that he overlooks an offense. Well, why is that? Well, five reasons. Number one, anger is a very powerful emotion that can easily get out of control. I mean, to be offended means to get angry or upset about something. And if I don't let go of that, then my anger can build and build till it gets out of control. And if we've been doing it for a while, it gets out of control quick. I mean, real quick. And so we live in a world today where people's anger is completely out of control. It's not even checked. You say anything, and right away they're responding in an angry text, all caps. I guess that's some sort of shouting and texting. Or we post something, and the next day it's like everybody's going, Wow, why did you say that? Well, you know, I was just upset. Yeah, but man, that's just the wrong way to handle it. And when we're, at, we're upset, our anger can get us out of control. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Psalm 37, 8. And James 1:20. human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. You have a pen, circle the word not. That's not what God desires. Uh, When I was in high school, I had a high school teacher that I loved. um, Lived in a little farming community. He taught shop class. I mean, taught people how to weld and do woodworking and all kinds of things like this. And he had been in the military police in the Korean War, I guess. And so he was uh, the peace officer in our little town of 452. I never even knew how they got to 452. I never saw 452 people together at one time. But um, he was the peace officer, and one night there was a disturbance at a house, at one of the houses in this little town, this little farming community, and uh, he went over to investigate, 
And what happened is a fellow there who lived in that city came home and caught his wife with another man. And in a fit of jealous rage, um, he shot his wife and killed her. And when this teacher, this friend of mine, came to see what was going on and heard the gunshots, he ran into the house. The man turned around without looking and just assumed it was the guy his wife had been with. And he shot him and killed him. And they were best friends. Nothing like that has ever happened in that little town I grew up in. Nothing like that has ever happened since. Most horrible thing ever, he just sat there and waited for the state police to arrive, and they arrested him. He's in prison until today. In a fit of jealous rage, he did something unspeakable. The whole community came out for the funeral of this teacher. He was a marvelous man. And his rage was out of control. Destroyed a woman's life, his wife's life. Destroyed a whole community because he took the life of a teacher. Destroyed his life. And you go, well, John, that's extreme. Yeah, I know it is. But we've heard of road rage, though, too. We've heard of people walking out of a job. I have had it with this job. I'm leaving. And they walk out, and they have no plan for the future. Well, they took care of their anger, all right. But now their family doesn't have a place to live. They can't make their house payments. Anger, if it's not checked, can get out of control. And the reason I'm going over this is, I had somebody call me last week after we started talking about this. And they said, so Christians are never supposed to get angry about anything? Well, yeah, there's going to be all kinds of things that make us angry. But we have to be the ones who let go of the anger. To take offense, you have to take it. We can also lay it down and say, just because something's wrong doesn't mean that I have to deal with it in anger. That man in my hometown, there were a thousand other ways he could have dealt with his wife's infidelity other than using a gun. I hope we all understand that. And so that's why it's so important because we live in a day where people have no filters anymore. And we stay offended and we're instantly responding and we're instantly outraged and we're angry all the time. And our anger doesn't produce the righteous life that God desires. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus again, you've heard that our ancestors are told you must not murder. Well, if you, commit, if, if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment, and we can talk about that guy in my hometown. But Jesus said, but if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Better get rid of Twitter. And this is where we are because we hide behind our phones now. People do this stuff all the time. Fellow believers, this must not be. James says we shouldn't worship God with our mouths and then the same mouth turn around and curse people made in his image. Well, what works with our lips also works with our thumbs. Y'all, this is terribly important. You will be offended. During a political season leading up to an election, I guarantee you, you will hear things that will offend you. We must not respond in anger. There's a better way. 
A river and its banks is a wonderful thing. When it gets out of control, it's a flood and it destroys everything around it. That's the same way with anger. This is why a person with good sense is patient. And it's to his credit if he overlooks an offense, if he lets it go, because anger can easily get out of control. Secondly, and it ties right together with this, we make bad decisions when we're angry or upset. We make bad decisions. Don't be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. And that's what it's talking about. It's like holding a dog and petting it. If I hang on to my anger, that dog will bite you. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Proverbs 29, 11. Those who control their anger have great understanding, but those with a hasty temper will make mistakes. I mean, this is true of any emotion. I mean, we all warn people who fall head over heels, they have a crush on somebody, and they are rushing into marriage and go, whoa, 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 slow down. Think about this first. Don't just react on emotions. Because any of us who've been married for more than six months will tell you some of the glitter wears off. And now you've got a commitment to fulfill. It could be anger. It could be a crush. I mean, it even makes sense not to go shopping for groceries when you're really hungry. You walk past the bakery. I think they got fans blowing that uh, fresh bread smell coming out of there. They know what they're doing. I don't want to be given just emotions. Emotions are an important part of my decision-making, but they shouldn't be the sum total of my decision-making. I'm angry? Yeah, it made me angry. I'm going to say something. Right. Well, why don't you go cool off first? Thomas Jefferson said, hey, if you're angry, count to 10. If you're very angry, count to 100. Mark Twain later said, if you're angry, count to 4. If you're very angry, curse. Okay? I think a lot of people are reading a lot more of Mark Twain than Thomas Jefferson. But Jesus said, no, I want you to be like me. And Jesus was misunderstood by everybody. As he was hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, the most religious people of the day came and spit on him and mocked him and said, if you're the son of God, come down off that cross. And Jesus prayed for them. My friends, do you realize Jesus said, hey, I want you to live out your faith in such a way that you're like a city on a hill for everyone to see. Well, I guarantee you, if you and I are people who are not easily offended, if you and I are people who let go of offense and deal with things calmly and rationally rather than in fits of anger, we're going to stand out. Does everybody agree with that? Because we live in a rage-filled culture now. And here's a note. We make more bad decisions when we stay upset. This is really why it's important to let go of anger and not let it stick around. I read this verse, these verses last week. I'll probably read them every part of this series because I don't want us to forget that the devil loves to prey on our weaknesses. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a, a foothold to the devil. And the longer I hang on to it, the more entrenched he can get. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you'll have to do it again because they're going to keep doing it. And every time they do it, it's a worse decision or it's another one. It's compound interest on problems. 
So, John, we're not supposed to deal with problems? Yes, we're supposed to deal with problems. We're supposed to let go of the anger first so we can deal with things properly. Everybody who's been to a parenting conference will know that your children are going to make you angry, but you should never discipline your children in, the, in a fit of anger. Go cool down and then discipline them. You still deal with the problem. You just don't do it in a time when it's going to be out of control and do more harm than good. Anger can get out of control. When we're fits of anger and we stay offended, we're going to make bad decisions. And the longer we stay offended, the more bad decisions we're going to make. Thirdly, we're not nearly as objective as we think. There's a way that seems right, and if you have a pen, underline seems right. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way to death. And there are a lot of things that seem right to us, and we go, well, I'm objective, and I take in all the facts. Not when I'm really offended, I don't. No, I don't. I'm not near as objective as I think I am. Mm -mm. Neither are you. remember a few years ago, I had parked my car uh, to go in and do uh, some business, and I came out in the parking lot and where I had parked my car, an SUV, I had parked my car, a big SUV had parked right next to it, and then a, another car had pulled up on the, on the, where the door was where I was coming out, another car had pulled up on, the other, on this side of the SUV that was identical to mine. And some of you know what's going to happen now, okay? So I'm walking over there, and I push the unlock button. Apparently, the other person left their car unlocked because I opened the door. It was unlocked. I get in, and I'm going, who adjusted my seat? And why did they put potpourri in my car? And I was getting mad. Somebody got in my car. And all of a sudden, a few seconds later, I realized, this is my car. And I got out of the car and looked at it. And then I walked a few feet over, and my car was right on the other side of the SUV. And if you'd have told me when I walked to that building, are you sure that that first car you see is your car? I'd have said, I am sure that that is my car. It was identical. Can that happen in personal relationships? All the time. I know why you said that. I know why you did that. Oh, you don't have to tell me. In fact, when we're getting dressed in the morning, we've already geared ourselves up for a big conflict. This is the way it's going to be. And then you get to work, and the other person goes, hey, that was a good idea. I was wrong. Good job. I wasted a whole weekend getting an argument worked up. That's the way we are. The first one to plead his case seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him, Proverbs 18, 17. Well, John, what does this have to do with it? Well, when I've got an argument going on in my head, guess whose case I hear first? Mine. And so do you. And it seems right. You can underline that again. Seems right. Seemed like my car. Doesn't mean I was right. I had not even considered the possibility that the company I bought my car from made more than one. Sometimes I do that with other people. I had not even considered the possibility. There might be other reasons for people to be questioning something on a report I turned in than the fact that they want to do me in. Isn't that possible? We're not nearly as objective as we think. 
Fourthly, we don't understand people's motives as well as we think. I mean, I was starting to go down that road anyway. It's the same. It's more on the same thought. Don't judge others, then you won't be judged, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. Well, Jesus got angry, John, so if Jesus could get angry, I can get angry. Yeah, Jesus was also without sin. He knew how to handle his anger in a way that was always righteous. I don't. Because I get motives wrong all the time. And I judge judge others unfairly. I hate it when people do it to me and they go, I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. No, you don't. A few years back, I was stopped, I stopped at a drugstore to pick up something my wife had asked me to pick up. And a fellow walked up to me and um, he asked if he could talk to me about a personal problem. I said, not right now. If you'd call my secretary and make an appointment, I'll be glad to speak with you. I was an associate pastor at the time, and he took great offense at that. He said, well, I just don't understand why anybody on the staff of our church would not have time to talk to a parishioner that needs some help. He stormed out of the store, and the next day when I get to work, our senior pastor calls me in, and this fellow's in his office waiting for me. He said, John, this fellow says yesterday you had, uh, he wanted to talk to you, and you weren't willing to talk to him. Is that the case? I said, no. I said, I just wasn't willing to talk to him right then. I told him to schedule an appointment with my secretary. And the guy goes, see, our staff is too busy to talk to people unless you make an appointment. I said, John, why did you ask him to make an appointment? I said, well, I was stopping at a drugstore on my way home. My wife had asked me to get something. And it was on my way home from the most difficult funeral I'd ever had. I remember very clearly it was on December 27th. I was doing the funeral for a baby that was less than a year old that had died on Christmas Day morning of SIDS. I was ministering to a mom and a dad who were absolutely inconsolable. And I was just trying to hold it together till I got home. I mean, it's hard for me to talk about it with you right now. That was so heartbreaking. And the guy goes, Oh, well, I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me that? I go, I should go in a drugstore with a sign around my neck. I just did a funeral for a baby who died of SIDS two days ago. Leave me alone. I said, by the way, you didn't ask me why not. As soon as I didn't do what you wanted me to do, you stormed out. You judged me. Our senior pastor wisely said, Hey, if you got a problem to talk about, why don't you talk about it with me and let John go? I don't think he's going to be completely objective about your situation right now. <laughs> See, that's what happens. We judge others. They judge us back. That's not the righteous life that God desires. Here's another important note. We don't even understand our own motivations as well as we think. The human heart is most deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And if the human heart is deceitful, guess who it deceives first? Me. I'm the one who's important. I'm the one who has needs. I'm the one that should be getting all the attention. We don't even ask what somebody else is going through. Maybe there's a reason they were short with you today. Does, it, does that even compute? friends. 
Let me hit point five here real quickly. I'll come back to that John 8 reference if we have time. We can't solve problems or even have civil discourse if we're always offended. Civil discourse just means how to talk with people whom I disagree with agreeably. That's why they teach debate in high school. There can be more than one point of view. It's how we learn. It's how we reach a point of compromise in marriage. It's how we grow and mature. We can't do that if we're always offended. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When you read an offensive post online this week, I mean, put this, cut out this verse or a couple of these in this section and tape them to your computer screen or save them on the notes on your phone and read over that verse first. And go, can I respond without using bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, or any type of evil behavior? Hmm. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. That's how we have civil discourse. If I'm willing to listen to you and you're willing to listen to me, not talk over each other. Shout each other down. It's wicked when that happens, and the devil loves it because it just stirs up rancor. Again, I say, and that was James 1.19, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. 2 Timothy 2, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they'll learn the truth. I mean, let's not forget that. If we're to be salt and light in this world, it's so we can tell people about Jesus. Why would they want to listen to us about Jesus when we won't listen to them about anything? I don't care what you say. Be quiet. Shut up. We teach our kids not to do that. And now we do that all the time as adults. This must not be. Let me leave you with two things of good news. First one, good news, God's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. John, I don't know if I have the strength to do this. Yeah, you do. If you and I say, God, I now see that there's a better way. Give me the desire to do what's right. Give me the power to do what's right. He'll do it. And the second thing I didn't write here, here's another piece of good news. God can and will forgive us and mend relationships that we've broken because of harsh words. And judgment. God can and will forgive us. So I want to pray about those things. We're going to be offended this week. It's coming. You may have been offended already this morning. You may be offended in the parking lot on the way out because somebody cuts you off. You may be offended at the grocery line because somebody has more than 10 items in the express lane. They have 14, and you've counted It's coming. What did they mean by that look? What if you and I took no offense? What if we laid the offense down and were unoffendable? What if we prayed for the power to be strong, to be like Jesus 
and forgive people and pray what's best for them? What if we prayed that God would open our eyes to the needs of others? Maybe there's a reason they're cutting in front of me in traffic. Maybe they've got an urgent need that I don't even know about. I mean, what if that were the case? Well, then I'd, then I'd gladly let them in. Will you pray with me? Lord, we don't know what's in other people's hearts. We don't know what's going on in their lives. And so we can be quick to judge and make things a terrible mess. I don't want to react in anger. I don't want to hurt people in my family or my friends. I don't want to say things and post things that embarrass me and embarrass you, Lord. I don't want to be like that. God, forgive me for words I've expressed in anger. God, forgive me for times when I have let all of it out and vented fully when I was offended. Well, God, when I'm offended this week, help me surrender it to you. Give me the desire and the power to do that. And God, would you please heal relationships where I've spoken rashly and quickly and haven't listened? Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Because we want to be like him. Amen.